0: Joining us today to talk about the escalating attack on tobacco harm reduction research is Dr. Glover, the director of the Centre of Research Excellence, Indigenous Sovereignty and Smoking in New Zealand. Dr. Glover, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I just want to pay my respects to the First Nations people of Canada, including yourself and um, just the, you know, and Indigenous people all around the world.
0: Well, thank you for that. And for some of my audience who don't know, I am uh, Aboriginal Canadian. I'm Métis, even, even though I'm as about as white as you can get. Um, and obviously, the Indigenous issue in New Zealand when it comes to tobacco control is very prominent, way more prominent than it is in North America. Let's start off there, Dr. Glover. You know, what is that difference and why are Indigenous, you know, at the heart of your efforts in New Zealand?
1: Well, Firstly, I am a Māori woman and have always put my efforts into improving the situation for Māori health, and that is largely because of the huge inequity. So because of colonisation, and we are in colonies, you know, Canada, United States, uh, Australia, New Zealand, these are colonies of the British Crown, and the Indigenous people have suffered greatly under that process of colonisation. So smoking is very, very different for New Zealand, for Māori here, than you already had tobacco in the, the Americas. It originated in South America, you also had it, and there were tobacco plants around the world and other countries too, but... The one that's killing people, the two main brands or or species, or whatever they're called, um, they originated from South America and then were taken around the world and made into these mass-produced sticks. So they are the main culprit in causing the 6.2 million uh, deaths preventable, largely preventable deaths per annum every year uh, globally. originated there. Now, we didn't have tobacco in New Zealand, so it was introduced by the whalers, sealers, missionaries, and then the settlers. And it was introduced to our women at the same time that it was introduced to our men. Now, that is what really sets uh, our deaths apart. The fact that in, I can't remember which year it was, in the 1990s, Māori women had the highest rates of lung cancer in the world for women. So European women didn't start smoking until the roaring 1920s and 30s. And it, and I always used to say, if you want to know what's going to happen to your women, if they, as smoking epidemic takes off among women in your countries, you need to have a look at what's happening to our women. Three times the rate of cervical cancer, highest rates of lung cancer, uh, you know, sooty death, sudden uh, unexpected death in infancy through the roof.
0: Now, you mentioned the term uh, epidemic with regards to t- tobacco. Obviously, here in North America, there's been quite a bit of conversation about the epidemic of teen vaping. So how has vaping been adopted in New Zealand? Has there been open arms?
1: No, not. There are some arms that are open and then there are those that are like, no. The... I came back from the Global Forum on Nicotine in 2015. I really learned a lot there, and I'm very grateful to all of the vapors that spent lots of time educating me and talking with me. I went straight to the Ministry of Health to talk to them and say, look, this is uh, now there. We can make huge inroads. We can reduce smoking so rapidly, this will save so many lives and this will make a huge, uh, you know, dent in the inequity between smoking among Māori and non-Māori. The uh, tobacco control lead at the Ministry of Health at the time didn't like it. so. It wasn't until he moved on and then the next person came along and she was very open, read the science, she got it. She got it. She understood. So that really shifted things. Uh, We had other many others by then, uh, other scientists and researchers also who looked at the research and realised here is – a rapid we can get rapid mass migration of people from smoking of smoking onto these uh, alternative products and so yeah I'd say from 2015 till now fairly fast compared to some other countries in terms of getting some legislation in place and confirming for people like this is not going to be taken away this is a secure choice you can make and uh, and the government supports it. The government support is very, very important for some people. If the government sends out a message saying, "No, this is as bad as smoking," then a whole lot of people won't. They won't go there. And if they and and, and now what's happening is that the New Zealand uh, Ministry of Health have funded a campaign encouraging people to switch to vaping. So that's fabulous.
0: And what is that uh, campaign? I know that um, I'm just going to pop over here. There is the Vaping Facts. Uh, this mm-hmm. this particular campaign, is this what you're talking about?
1: That's right. And it was actually designed and, and produced and all ready to go under the previous government or the government before that, so you know it's it's been sitting around waiting for some time, but they pulled it. the The politician, the Associate Minister of Health, uh, canned it. Actually, she did this two days after Trump city uh, was going to ban all but menthol and tobacco flavours. Two days later, here in New Zealand, she canned this campaign, and and the draft legislation went back in for a redraw. So just goes to show, you know, the impact of what's happening in America on other countries and also that very connected, the way that the tobacco control, the small cabal that are managing this uh, anti-vaping campaign, how connected they are. And they work very, very closely and uh, tell each other what to say, what to do. So, The legislation went back in for a redraw and came out far more restrictive and putting in a lot more barriers and also very, very mixed message. So the government on the one hand is saying, we want you to switch to vaping, um, but it's as bad as smoking. So it's like people are still, there's a lot of people who are very confused. And my latest research, Voices of the 5%, I'm putting all the stories up on the website. You see it there. People are like, oh no, I I don't want to vape, it's as bad as smoking.
0: Tobacco control just generally for me now is just, it just means one thing. They're on the, they're zealots.
1: I was convinced by them. I was one of those tobacco control people. I came up with some really nasty, punish, punishing ideas uh, myself. And I supported a lot of that. And I feel ashamed about that now. I was wrong. Uh, but it's a learning process. And I can understand a lot of the people that are in there haven't learnt the harm they're doing. I think that people doing tobacco control type work are diverse, so there is not just two sides, mm. but the the uh, the particular and they are very small networked cabal uh, that we are up against and that are particularly. Nasty. They have co-opted the term as theirs, and they're they're going to a lot of effort to control what tobacco control is. Who can consider themselves part of that tobacco control movement? They use that term "movement," and you know, there's a lot of propaganda-type rhetoric uh, around it. So, but there are many, many people who are doing tobacco control who who remain sane and respectable and uh, doing great work. I started in tobacco control in 1992. I was uh, working for the Public Health Commission, which was a just sort of a blip in history in New Zealand really, but uh, a unique organisation that was established. So I did start in public health and one of the topics I worked on was tobacco control. And so that's almost 30 years ago. I then went to, uh, have done other roles, national coordination of tobacco control to reduce smoking among Māori. And then eventually I, I did my PhD on smoking cessation, so first person to do a PhD on the topic in New Zealand. I trained the first quitline uh, people. I, I was involved in designing stop smoking programs for Māori, um, you know, I, I wrote I wrote the manual. Um, I helped evaluate things. I, I've trialed many many interventions, and 15 years of research in a university on soft money. What that means is that I didn't have a secure job. The university wasn't paying me. I won all the money uh, that was paying me and my team. I built up a centre with 11 people, all on gained funds uh, from contestable funding rounds. So I was hugely successful, bought in millions and millions of dollars in research funding. And I'm telling you this because I think it's crucial to what is being done to me now. And and what I really believe is happening is, is just very, very simple, um, competition and my competitors for that funding, for research funding, uh, they want me out of the running.
0: So describe for us what is happening to you now? Well, first, uh, discuss a little bit about the research of excellence that you're at, uh, that you started, and then let's talk about what's happening.
1: So I, as I said, I was in university, one university I was there for 15 years, uh, you know, masses of research on smoking, how to help people stop smoking. And at some point I began to disagree. How so? How
0: so? What was the disagreement?
1: Tax. Tax was the first main disagreement. It came to a point where the harm that the tax was doing. And now in New Zealand, we have the highest rate of tax in the world relative to income. If you look at Australia, they can say ours is highest in general in just in numbers. But relative to income, ours is actually higher. So also smoking is concentrated disproportionately higher among the lowest uh, socioeconomic groups. What people are doing to get tobacco now is uh, (laughs) – You know, robberies of convenience stores, black market, people are trying to grow their own. uh, They're selling chop-chop and that's illegal. So people are taking risks and committing crime. We are making criminals of ordinary people because they smoke and that is wrong and that is not ethical public health practice. So at some point I began to say that's enough, that's enough. Too many people are being harmed, and that was it. That was it. If you disagree, you're out. And they begin to, you know, work in the way that they do behind closed doors, stabbing you in the back, uh, scheming. How will we get rid of this person? And uh, I'm, you know, it's not just me. This happens all the time to academics. Uh, to Indigenous academics, and not just Indigenous academics. If there's a sector, be it obesity, be it alcohol, which, whatever sector in public health, as soon as you start to disagree with the controlling group, you're out. And they, you know, and so I've been putting up with this backstabbing and discrediting for a long time.
0: When you describe the harm that you did when you were uh, in tobacco control and that you see continuing, what are those harms?
1: Um, people not being able to use their heaters in winter, and uh, food, the what they, the food that they can they will buy. So vegetables, unfortunately, are more expensive. It's a lot cheaper to go to the takeaway store and get fish and chips. And you can feed your whole family on fish and chips. Everyone's going to be happy and satisfied. They're not going to come back for seconds that you don't have. So I have done some work on obesity uh, and how what's happening for lower socioeconomic Māori and Pacific families living here in New Zealand. And so there are unintended consequences in other areas and public health should be looking at those when you look at a policy you must look at the unintended consequences
0: is there something particular about people that are on the nasty side the cabal of tobacco control something inherent in in them as people that want to control the masses they want to control and, and i would say nudge is a little bit of a light term they actually want to actually control not just nudge along
1: ah uh, definitely i think I do think that people have an inherent—they uh, get their jollies. They enjoy telling people what to do. They enjoy control. They get off on it. They enjoy being in power. They enjoy being listened to. I mean, who doesn't? I, it, it's thrilling, you know. And then, then they create their awards that they can give each other. Are we going to give you an award? And who doesn't like to win an award? You know, I love love winning awards. uses <laughs> just won this golden pin. It's, that's wonderful. It's a a wonderful feeling, Uh, getting a promotion, getting more money, getting paid more. These are all, I guess we could go back to carrot and stick.
0: In your experience dealing with these tobacco controllers that are a bit nasty and controlling. Do you think that there could be any, do they have a prejudice towards smokers?
1: It's not really about smoking for them. It's, It's about the power and the funding and the money. So, uh, you know, some the other thing is it's like an iceberg. So at the very tip of the iceberg, there is a very small cabal. They are networked and they email each other. I know this because with all of the uh, discrediting and attacks, I – have done a lot of Official Information Act requests and Privacy Act requests, and I have a pile of emails, I can, you know, of them emailing each other about me, the things they say, and that's all part of that. Basically, you need to think of, of it like it's just simple bullying. You get a bully, and then they recruit, and they recruit others into it, and then they, you know, that through their tactics, like Simon Chapman, He's in Australia, so what's he got to do with us here? But there are emails from him to the New Zealand academics uh, about me. But it's that kind of very petty, unprofessional bullying behaviour that's going on, and it's it's really toxic, and people are being manipulated. You've got the, the, the little tip of the iceberg, Chapman in the UK... He, he's in league with McKee, Mike Dorbin, Australia, they connected to, to Stan Glantz and Ruth Malone. And, I, you know, I can draw a genealogy map, if you like, of how they're connected. And then they have PhD students. And I think this is particularly corrupt to corrupt your PhD students and enlist them into that toxic, unprofessional, train them in it. And so Chapman's got, you know, they all seem to get young women and then they become particularly vicious. Uh, So it's a big, small network. It's a small network. Now they then manipulate the next layer down, you know, uh, Asthma Respiratory Foundation here in New Zealand uh, and <laughs> those type, there are professional associations. They get to doctors who are in there and those doctors are very busy. Uh, they don't have time to sort of go into the full detail, read all the research themselves. They're going to trust what uh you know, Emeritus Professor Simon Chapman tells them, and he's a leader, and Stan Glantz, and all of these people, preeminent leaders in tobacco control, why wouldn't they believe them? And so then they manipulate them, and they feed them, and again, you know, you the, the documents are easy to find. Emails, um, or here, write this, or say this. They write their media releases for them. They put the words in their mouth. Then you have the next layer down, the health promotion workers the people who work on the ground the cessation workers and and that little bit at the the group up the top they talk at the conferences they give the keynote speech uh, at the world Congress on public health in Melbourne a, f- a few years ago uh, Martin McKee gave keynote. Uh, I was sitting there. I just, I just could not believe he was flashing up pictures behind what he was saying. One thing, and flashing pictures of Nazi Germany on the screen behind him, and barbed wire fences, and and I was like, you know, where are the psychologists? There are no, there are not enough psychologists in this field going, hey, hey, I see what you're doing. This is just basic brainwashing type stuff
0: well who was he comparing to the nazis
1: he was he was as i said he was saying one thing and flashing pictures his whole keynote was you're on the right side of history and uh, they're not
0: you've got this uh, center of excellence that you started and you did started that with funding from the foundation for a smoke-free world for our audience that might not know and that's the foundation for a smoke-free world which is started by uh, Dr. Derek Yock, who's been on the show a couple of times, just even just recently this year, that foundation received over a billion dollars over 12 years uh, from Philip Morris, which of course is one of the largest tobacco companies in the world. And that inherently is the issue here, is that money from the tobacco industry that started this foundation, this foundation's independent from that, but still founded by you know funded by PMI. And then they're out there and putting money out to research But that's become a problem because not only researchers such as yourself, but other researchers are becoming, you know, blacklisted and shunned if they even come near the foundation. So coming from the top down of tobacco control, basically from the WHO, the World Health Organization, is this clampdown uh, that, you know, is frustrating the efforts of the foundation and anybody who has anything to do with it.
1: I did my due diligence on the foundation and on their relationship. I looked at all of the documents and I talked with my lawyers. Uh, I was satisfied that there was an independent process, that Philip Morris uh, had no involvement in determining what was going to be funded. I know that I wrote my proposal. Derek, nobody told me what to put in it. These were researcher-initiated ideas, same as if I put into the Health Research Council of New Zealand, and, and then the foundation had their process for assessing all of the proposals. I met other people who put in from around the world, and not everybody got funded. So, and then there were the papers that were written by people in public health themselves saying there's not enough money, what are we gonna do? We can't keep being like rats in a box and like killing each other off because there's not enough money, uh, but that's what they do. But um, so they wrote the paper and said, this needs to happen. The industry needs to hand over money and give it to us and, and we, we'll we use it, we'll clean it, we're going to launder it and, you know, and then it'll be okay because we've got it. What they really, really hated was that the money was given to Derek. It was given to somebody else and not to them. And, uh, you know, here, uh, lobbyists here have been arguing for a tobacco control authority and that the money should be you know, it's it's, a, it's like magic, you know. If the government takes it, if they make the tobacco industry, hand it over, and then they give it back to the small tip of the iceberg, controllers and tobacco control, they would be perfectly happy with it. It's been laundered through the government or something. Um, at the moment, it's really dirty money because it's being extracted from the poorest and the marginalised and the people with mental health illness that helps keep them in poverty, but oh no, let's not worry about that.
0: So let me ask you this uh, then, Dr. Glover, in New Zealand, you've had some pushback uh, from government and from your competitors, so to speak, which are government in some cases. You've been blacklisted, you've told me. What does that mean?
1: Yes, the Director General of the Ministry of Health, so it's the government ministry, uh, governing Health, he wrote a letter to all of their funded health services, essentially saying they can get their advice elsewhere, so not from me. And he, you know, goes on about the uh, Framework Convention on Tobacco Control, Article 5.3, uh, misleads people to believe that it is a, you know, legally binding uh, commitment that New Zealand has, they have to follow this, they have to do what they're told by the Framework Convention on Tobacco Control. Um, it misinterprets what Article 5.3 is. It goes on about Philip Morris, and um, you're not, you know, shouldn't be talking to them. And then it talks about the Foundation for a Smoke-Free World, and you shouldn't be talking to them. And then it says about me being funded by the, the. So it lays out this logic. And this is this another author that uh, essential text of public health these days is Noam Chomsky's um, manufacturing consent, and I know that this text is used by people at the top of the iceberg. Uh, they know how to manufacture consent. They know all about propaganda. They're using it all the time. And this letter, you know, could have been written for the ministry by that group. Uh, they definitely had. Clearly lobbied the Ministry of Health to do this and to stop uh, anyone working in health in New Zealand from reading any of my research or listening. Or you know, so if I do even our show today, they they're not allowed. They we're not allowed to listen to it. And I think even some of the district health boards. So the The government, the ministry sends the money out, dishes it out to regions by these district health boards. Some of them have even added my website to their block list. So, yes, I am blacklisted and this had a chilling effect. So what your competitors are going to do, I've just got some simple four Ds for you. Uh, The first thing they want to do is distract you, you know, so they're going to... Keep everyone distracted and running around after something else that actually isn't the issue. And then delay. Delay her papers. We've got to stop her papers being published. So get on editorial boards. So this is is some of what They've actually done this. Get on editorial boards and get the journal to – bring in a policy that they will not publish anyone who is funded by the Foundation for Smoke-Free World,
0: Dr. Glover, let me ask you about Article 5.3, which is part of the Framework Convention for Tobacco Control, which is World Health Organization. We just had uh, Clive Bates on, and he was describing that in combination with the 2008 guidelines, that there is an irreconcilable conflict, a principle, he calls it, between the interests of tobacco of the tobacco industry and public health that is permanent, and binding on the future, meaning there's no resolution to it.
1: It's not about the wording of the article 5.3. It is the fact that a small group of people have gained control of the Framework Convention, have co-opted it and are corrupting it, and are moving it away from what it was intended to do, which was reduce death and disease. They're moving it away from that for their own little sandpit fight to destroy their commercial competitors, other researchers who think differently uh, to them, who might go for the same funding that they want. There is not enough funding. There are too many rats, not enough cheese.
0: So is the World Health Organization, in your professional opinion, concerned about health, or is it something else?
1: The World Health Organization is an institution and, what institutions, all institutions, have to be very aware of and protect themselves against is co-option by interest groups. And you can have interest group. Universities are a, a good example, but the World Health Organization, same kind of people in there. So you get a university and you get an interest group, um, ideological interest group, and they work within the institution using the processes, setting new policies, um, getting rid of people that that are against their what they want to do until they gain uh, leadership positions and change the policy. Uh, so, for example, with the Foundation for Smoke-Free World funding, many universities have a policy that they will not uh, allow researchers to apply for that funding. Now, that is a breach of academic freedom. So universities of old don't exist anymore. I don't think there are very many of them in the world at all. And most of them have been captured by these uh, liberal um, small groups of academics and they basically threaten uh, action. They will threaten within, they will threaten action. They will use whatever laws uh, and policies they can to get what they want. So it is actually political and you have to look at who benefits from a policy, who benefits from the high tax on tobacco, for example. So in New Zealand, New Zealand Māori uh, smoking, New Zealand, we used to be around 50% men and women Women have been left behind a bit. Men's smoking rates have come down. Women's smoking rates are still around 33%. Now, Māori, the Indigenous people are already overrepresented among the lowest socioeconomic, marginalised, have more discrimination against them, and and they, they smoke more. So you really need to see tobacco as an extractive industry. It's about extracting money. Resource. So, and for Indigenous people, there are. This is a very easy concept to understand. The colonisers come in and they extract. They extract oil. They extract water. They extract labour. The Indigenous people are used for labour. And you know, I guess in most countries, nearly everyone can understand this. Uh, you sell your time for for money. You're selling your labour, etc. Tobacco is an extractive industry. And the tax is part of extracting that resource. So we have uh, the government in New Zealand getting $2 billion a year in tax on tobacco. Very, very high tax. It's disproportionately coming from the indigenous people who have disproportionately high smoking rates. It's disproportionately coming from the lowest socioeconomic groups because they have disproportionately high smoking rates. What do you do if you take uh, millions of dollars out of a demographic group say young Maori women who are mothers happen to be mothers and you're taking 35 million a year from them well you're keeping them you're keeping them immobilized and in poverty. And actually, many Māori people here know this or suspect it, uh, and that's why many Indigenous people here in New Zealand did not like the tax and saw it as hurting, because it helps maintain the the uh, non the settlers who came. It helps maintain their advantage and that they stay in control, in power, and dominating the policies of government and the governance. So it's a lot more than uh, people are dying or people are sick that also, you know, if you're sick, that also keeps you uh, trapped in, uh, you know, from being able to work, from being able to earn money, from being able to run a business, etc. And then you die early or people die early. It all has a lot more impact than what's being addressed.
0: Dr. Glover, considering then that you know, tobacco controllers, public health, at least in New Zealand, though I do imagine it's the same elsewhere, lean a little bit more left. They are ideological in their application of their theories when it comes to tobacco control and bossing people around. But yet you're describing, you know, injustices towards indigenous communities and, and so forth that are the traditional natural uh, community in which the left is supposed to be helping. So are, are they helping or hurting? And is it a contradiction?
1: Yeah, so this is Alice in Wonderland. We're down the rabbit hole, and it's all about, and I've I've got a prop.
0: Ah, very good. Edward Bernays. That is yes. Edward Bernays' book. Uh, yes, Propaganda.
1: So I've had to read that because that's really what we're up against now. Where we have people in public health, it is more, it's not about smoking. It's not about vaping it is about their ideology it is about socialism and they co-opt and use indigenous people and poor people and you know those are just uh, narratives and that they can use to make themselves look like they care I and mean, with this whole thing at the moment with the kindness be kind and you know, reset, rebuild, uh, restart, whatever they want to call it, it's all just propaganda and people are not realising that, no, these people don't care. All they care about is getting into power and staying in power and being able to pass their policies to increase the size of government, increase the intervention in people's lives, telling we will tell you what to do We will tell you how many times you have to exercise a week, what you're to eat. Uh, No, you're not to drink any alcohol. They still are absolutely prohibitionist regarding alcohol. No, you're not going to smoke. Oh, but you can smoke cannabis um, and sex, you know, how many times you can do that or whether you can do that or or how you're to do that. It's every little thing, every little thing that they are trying to control. And people it's uh, are, re- are rejecting that. They're beginning to reject that. Uh, and we are seeing it in our current Voices of the 5% study a lot of resistance there. What you start to then have happen is that people are not going to listen to anything you say. Hmm. You know, you want you want us to go do our m- mammograms and our cervical smears and our this and that, get stuffed. We're not listening. We're not going to be told what to do by you anymore. And they won't do anything. So it's a real risk to public health in a much broader sense.
0: What our audience, I'm sure, does not know, they probably don't know who Edward Bernays is, but he literally wrote the book on propaganda. He created the whole entire profession of public relations. But what people don't know is that Edward Bernays is Sigmund Freud's nephew. Yes. And, and he was charged with bringing Freud's knowledge, brand new knowledge and understanding over to the Americas and then basically popularized it in terms yeah. of using it for public relations and to get people to think and act differently. When you think of Freud, you really should think of modern propaganda.
1: Exactly. and. Public health has become that uh, it's very, very tightly controlled, and the people in there. You see, the other thing you have to we have to remember this is business, and in New Zealand particularly, and I, and I guess it's the same in Canada and in the US. There is a shortage of funds for research. The universities are businesses, so. My competitors, commercial competitors for research funding, they are employees of huge businesses. So when we talk about the tobacco industry, that's a business. The people in tobacco control who are demonising the industry and making it all about the industry and we need to destroy this industry, are themselves an industry. And themselves are employees working for a huge business but because they're in the social sciences, they have no idea about business at all. Um, I don't think any of them have ever run a business. Or, or, they have no concept of what it is to have employees and provide jobs and homes or whatever. And so it's all about business. And my lawyers, uh, one lawyer at one point said to me, with regards to the bullying that I was um was experiencing at the time you know trying to just trying to get me to understand this is just business as usual this is just what it's a cost of doing business you know fighting employees you're trying to get rid of and paying the costs of that and that was a real opening real eye-opener for me that bullying um you know, destroying staff, getting rid of people, is just a just business. It's just business.
0: Well, it's it's the same thing that happened in the U.S. Even with vaping, I mean, they went crazy over Juul. The best marketing for Juul was tobacco control.
1: It is tobacco control and public health groups that had introduced youth the most. They raised curiosity with their just immature and uneducated campaigns, uh, propaganda, they don't care. It's all about controlling the narrative. The mass media campaigns have incited hatred towards people who smoke. And people on the street now in New Zealand feel perfectly within their rights to abuse a person who's smoking. For example, as someone, you're at a cafe or restaurant, you're sitting outside and somebody's over there outside of the cafe, outside eating area, having a smoke. People in New Zealand feel absolutely, uh, it's it's just like, oh my gosh, don't go over there and do that to that person. Oh no, they think they're perfectly, perfectly right to do that. Go over there and say, hey, take your cigarette somewhere else, you know? We have campaigns. You can see it on bus shelters where it says, um, this is a smoke-free area. If you see somebody smoking, just ask them to move on. It's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is real, you know, socialist type stuff. It's uh, they're changing our country. And of course, that's what it was all about. That's what colonization was. They come here, they bring their culture here, they change it. Well, Uh, They're changing it in ways and they're inciting hatred towards people who smoke. I don't support public health, inciting hatred towards any group. That's wrong, it's not ethical. You know, no wonder I'm blacklisted, right? Because they're not, and the other thing is, uh, Brent, it's not a war on vaping, it's not a war on drugs, it's a war on people.